0: Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. Today's main event happened in the year 1827. But as always, let's find out what else happened that year. Well, on March the 16th, Freedom's journal, the first African-American-owned and published newspaper in the United States, is founded in New York City by John Rushworth. On March the 26th, German composer Ludwig van Beethoven dies in Vienna after a prolonged illness. Thousands of citizens line the streets for the funeral procession. Three days later, on June the seventh, Greek defenders in Athens surrender to Egyptian forces under the command of General Rashid Pasha. On July the sixth, as part of the Greek War of Independence, the Treaty of London between France, Britain, and Russia demands that Turks agree to an armistice in Greece. And in November, the term "socialist" is coined by Robert Owen in his London periodical, The Cooperative Magazine and Monthly Herald. But we will be looking at an event that happened on February the 15th, 1927. The venue was The Star Inn, which is nowadays called The Steam Crane, and the entertainment that evening was entitled Caravan of Wild Beasts.
1: Word of the Week
0: Prepare yourselves for this week, I give you... Ultra Crepidarian, which means a person who will take literally any chance to share their opinions on things they truly know nothing about. I mentioned that the event took place in the Star Inn, which is now called Steam Crane, it's at the junction of Cannon Street and North Street, and it's also where the trial for the murderer John Howard was held in 1821. The menagerie Caravan of Wild Beasts was run by a man called James Rochester, who, the previous day, had hired a new assistant keeper, Joseph Kiddle, who had only arrived from Exeter that day. Kittle had persuaded Rochester that he was accustomed to looking after wild animals. Even so, Rochester told him he was not allowed into the cage of one of the leading attractions, a lion. In Bedminster, James Rochester claimed to have the famous Nero on show. It is possible that Rochester was using another lion under that name in order to cash in on this notorious lion's name. But by now, Nero's current owner, George Womwell, who was a successful businessman, hired out his animals to other showmen around the country, so he could have been telling the truth about the Bedminster Nero. On the afternoon of the 15th, between 4 and 5 pm, Joseph Kiddle was left alone in charge when a group of visitors arrived to see the animals. He showed them around, but to their disappointment, the lion was asleep in the farthest corner of its den. The sightseers had paid good money in order to see wild animals being wild. And so it fell to the hapless assistant keeper to oblige them. Kittle went into the cage to wake the animal. Later accounts reckon that the lion probably attacked him because it was startled. One local account, claiming to be from an eyewitness, tells the tale.
1: Nero immediately gathered himself up at the back and then made a spring at the unfortunate man, struck him on the breast with his paw and seized him by the neck in his mouth, making an incision in the carotid artery while the teeth of the upper jaw entered at the back of the neck. The principal wound was exactly on the spine. The last wound doubtless caused a paralysis as the wretched man died almost instantaneously without much struggling or apparent suffering. Perhaps it is fortunate this was the case, for if, in attempting to escape, he had reopened the door of the cage and the animal had got out while in this infuriated state and with a number of persons in the menagerie, there is no calculating the amount of mischief he might have caused.
0: Other accounts of Kittle's death talk about ghastly scenes as horrified audiences first looked on in shock and then fled the scene, pouring into the street shouting and screaming. A passerby, on hearing what was happening, ran home to fetch his pistols. Someone else called to a nearby blacksmith who immediately came along and thrust a bar of red hot iron at the enraged animal to try and get it to give up its prey. Nero is said to have been painfully injured by this. Minutes later, people got to work pushing planks of wood through the bars of the cage. In this way, he managed to build a makeshift partition between Nero and Joseph Kiddle's lifeless body. The case was reported by papers all over the country, and it was noted that the animal was normally quiet and docile, and that a woman and two children had been in the cage with him the previous day. James Rochester decided that the show must go on despite the tragedy, or more likely because of it. The publicity brought crowds reportedly flocking to see his wild beasts when he reopened the following day. He was reprimanded by a local magistrate after spectators were terrified by the sight of a leopard and a hyena trying to attack one another. On February 20th, the Somerset coroner, Mr. Keynes of Langport, convened his inquest into the death of Joseph Kittle at the Star Inn. We don't know any of the details, but it would have been customary for the body of the deceased to be laid out on a table on show for the benefit of the jury. It's also very likely that the pub did a lot of business with members of the public crowding in to view the proceedings, as well as the corpse. The jury recorded a verdict of accidental death whether or not as a result of the incident, James Rochester, who gave his address as The Grove, Bristol, went out of business. He may even have spent time in Bristol's Newgate prison for debt. What George Womwell thought of the injuries inflicted on Nero by the blacksmith's red-hot poker is unknown, though the case prompted newspapers locally and elsewhere in the country to express revulsion at the cruelty inflicted on animals by menageries and circuses. You see, even then, animal rights was an issue. At the beginning of July, James Rochester appeared before the insolvent debtors' court at the Guildhall, where he explained that he had hired the menagerie from Womwell in return for an annual payment of £350. He had now returned the animals to their owner and so was discharged. Nero ended his days at the Zoological Gardens in Regent's Park, London, where he died at the age of 22, on the 9th of July, 1836. Get your walking boots ready, because we're into the second part of our big stroll. And today, we'll be starting off at Bitten. The
1: big Bristol to London stroll. The big Bristol to London stroll. (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome to the Big Bristol to London Stroll, where we take you along the scenic routes, via canals, on a gentle walk to our capital. Along the way, we'll discuss the places we see and anything we spot that takes our fancy. Sometimes we're even joined along the way by family and friends. So come join us as we take the Big Stroll. The idea for this walk came from my husband, who thought, after spending our lockdown walking around our local area in circles, we could use our newfound fitness and love of the outdoors to do something a little more ambitious. So now we try and do a section of the walk each week, taking in the sights, sounds and sometimes the food, on our big walk to London. And as a little extra, we'll be raising money for a local charity. And this week's walk starts in Bitten. One of the most interesting stops on the Bristol-to-Bath cycle path is the Avon Valley Railway at Bitton. Opened in 1869 by the Midland Railway as a through-route between Birmingham and the south coast, the line was later linked to the iconic Somerset and Dorset Railway. Closed under the Beeching axe of the 1960s, the Avon Valley Railway was preserved by an enthusiastic group of volunteers. Now, Three miles of track have been relaid, locomotives and carriages restored, and the sound of steam can once again be heard along the Avon Valley. It's a very family oriented place. When my eldest was small, we took him to one of the Thomas the Tank Engine days so he could see Thomas going up and down the line. They held birthday parties, murder mysteries, and loads of other events, such as the upcoming Teddy Bears Picnic, where, if you bring a teddy with you, you get to ride it on the train for free. This whole place is a charity, is run by very enthusiastic volunteers but nothing beats the atmosphere and excitement when a steam train starts off down the track. It's absolutely wonderful. Another great place to stop off to for sightseeing is Salford. It has two claims to fame and that is the oldest continuously occupied private house in England, Saltford Manor, dating from the middle of the 12th century. It retains many Norman features, including the tall, narrow window visible at the back of the house. And the other is that Saltford is the first location to ever record a cricket match in Somerset on the 3rd of July 1751. Another notable Saltford residence built in the 18th century is Saltford House, a square Georgian mansion constructed in 1712. A blue plaque marks the residence between 1856 to 1867 of Admiral Benedictus Marwood Kelly, who fought in the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars and served on the anti-slavery patrols off the west coast of Africa. He made major additions and repairs to the building. Admiral Kelly's wife, Juliana, was known to generously distribute coal, cloaks and soup to poor families. And apart from the very, very nice pubs, Another place to, adjacent to Saltford House is the Tunnel House, built in 1744. It is a Georgian three-storey building famed for being purchased by none other than Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who built a tunnel underneath between 1836 and 1838 for his GWR London to Bristol line. As some of you may be aware, this walk is helping to raise money for the Suicide Prevention Bristol Charity. And we're doing it in the name of a friend and a supporter of the show, Sarah, who passed away last month. So if you wish to donate money to this wonderful charity, just go to Just Giving and look up Backtracker and you'll find us. I've mentioned the name George Womwell several times, so I'll tell you a bit more about him. He was born on the 24th of December 1777 at Wendon Lofts, Essex. He moved to London and in 1804 had a business as a cobbler in Soho. At about this time, Womwell purchased two boa constrictors from a South African sailor at the docks and toured the local inns with the two snakes in a box, where people would pay him a penny to view the reptiles. Within two weeks, he had recouped his original investment. His success encouraged him to build up what became the largest travelling menagerie in Britain. Success encouraged Womwell to make further speculations. He bought animals from the local docks and built up a collection of exotic species, including lions, zebras and ostriches. In 1810, he founded Womwell's Travelling Menagerie, an entourage consisting of ten carriages of beasts, which visited the county fairs of Britain. Many animals were bred in captivity, and those animals, which died, were disposed of to taxidermists or even exhibited as deceased specimens. The lion named Nero was a national celebrity. At Warwick in 1825, George Onewell had organised a fight between Nero and a pack of bulldogs for the entertainment of paying spectators. Nero was famously docile and refused to fight back. The fights were arranged in collaboration with dog dealers Ben White and Bill George. The cage measured a mere 15 feet square and 10 feet high, with an elevated floor 6 feet from the ground, and the bars were wide enough apart for the dogs to escape if things got too much for them. The first round lasted 11 minutes, and the second less than five. From the beginning of the contest to the end, the lion was merely a sufferer. He never struck a blow in anger. The crowds were disappointed at Nero's pacifism, and Womwell, as an accomplished showman, organised a second fight, where the dogs attacked another, more ferocious lion. This one was named Wallace, who was allegedly the first lion to be bred in captivity in England having been born in Edinburgh in 1819. Wallace didn't disappoint and enthusiastically set about tearing the dogs to pieces. When Wallace died in 1838, he was sent from Dudley West Midlands to Saffron Walden Museum by stagecoach. He had been stuffed with wood shavings on a wooden wire frame, then mounted with his front paw on the figure of a dog. There's another rather famous Womwell story which concerns Bartholomew Fair in London, when his elephant died. Arrival at the same event put up a notice advertising the only live elephant at the fair. Womwell responded with a notice advertising the only dead elephant at the fair, which proved far more popular as the public flocked to see, and poke, the dead animal. Womwell became a favourite of the royal court and appeared several times before Queen Victoria. He was once sent for by Prince Albert to solve a problem of the Prince's sick dogs. Wanwell noticed that their water source was contaminated and a fresh supply would immediately restore them to health. When asked by the Prince what he would like as a reward, Wanwell famously responded, What can you give to a man who has everything? Albert presented him with an oak coffin which Wanwell exhibited as a sideshow charging a supplementary fee. George Womwell was used to tragedy in his life. On the 12th of June, 1849, aged 25, the Coventry Great Fair saw the sad death of William Womwell. He was George's nephew, and employed as the Lion Keeper at his menagerie in Coventry. Womwell described the accident at the inquest.
1: I saw the accident, which occurred last Sunday afternoon, between three and four o'clock. He was sitting on some straw in the booth, when we heard the elephants fighting. Only myself and another man, besides the deceased, were there. He was scraping his shoes with a knife in his hand, and it is my belief that he went into the den with the knife in his hand. There were two male elephants, one was larger than the other, and both are in the same den. I believe he went to prick him with the knife, as keepers sometimes do when I heard him knocked down and the elephant had taken his knife from him and crushed it to pieces. The elephant had got him up in the corner of the den and was boring at him with his tusks and I cried out immediately, ''For God's sake, come, for he's killing William!'' and deceased at the same time was crying for help. The young man and I got a ladder which had spikes at the bottom, put it into the den and poked the elephant with it so as to get him away. From the time that the deceased went into the den till we got him away, it was not more than three minutes. He could just walk out, but I saw he was bleeding very much, and we were obliged to carry him immediately. It was usually a very quiet and tractable creature, and walked last year in the procession of Coventry. It has also performed at Astley's, it is nearly seven feet high. The deceased has known it for six years, and has always shown it, and had been in the habit of giving him his bread at night, But on this occasion, I don't think the elephant knew him when he first entered the den. Which he did through a small door, and not by the way it usually entered. I never had any accident with this elephant before. There is one particular season in the year, which lasts for about six weeks, when they are more prone to quarrel than at any other time, and it is the season now. The man whose particular duty it was to look after the elephants was lying drunk in another carriage. At the time when I cried out and we went to rescue the deceased, the elephant was just going to kneel on him, and had he done so, he might have crushed him immediately.
0: When Womwell died on November 16th, 1850, the Times newspaper carried his obituary saying that he had made a massive contribution to the study of natural history. He is buried in Highgate Cemetery, Swains Lane, London. One of the region's animal attack victims lies in the churchyard at Malmesbury Abbey. Her name was Hannah Twyany, a servant at the White Lion Inn, who, according to the gravestone, was mauled by a tiger on the twenty third of october seventeen oh three, when she was aged thirty-three years old. Her gravestone reads
1: Hannah Twinoy, who died October 23rd, 1703, aged 33 years. In bloom of life, she snatched from hence. She had no room to make defence, for Tiger Fierce took her life away, and here she lies in a bed of clay until the resurrection day.
0: Local legend has it that a travelling menagerie was staying in the pub's yard and she enjoyed teasing the animal even though the keeper repeatedly told her to stop and warned her of the dangers. The tiger got so annoyed that it broke free and attacked her by catching hold of her gown and tearing her to pieces. In the summer of 1942, the government was encouraging people to save on resources needed for the war effort by taking their holidays at home. The beaches on most seaside towns were out of bounds anyway because of anti-invasion defences. Bristol did its bit, with a big programme of free entertainment in municipal parks. That year it also permitted a circus to visit the Downs. Young Vernon Head, aged 8, of Home Gardens, Durden Down, was fascinated by the lioness. Professor J Popgey, and his wife later testified that one or other of them watched over the animal at all times when the circus was camped on the Downs, and that they had frustrated four attempts by the boy to get close to Limo the lion. The boy was, frankly, a pest, says popg adding that he had threatened him with a hiding if he persisted in trying to break in. At 10am on Saturday the 1st, Vernon Head succeeded in his bid to reach Lemo, you later said.
1: Now my wife was coming out to relieve me when I heard this yell and I saw the lioness with her paws round the boy and her jaws locked on him. We rushed the lioness and I finally got her to release the boy but the thing was it took some doing. The trick was to poke your fingers up the nostrils of the lion with one hand whilst trying to really open up the jaws with the other but like I said it took some doing.
0: The boy had sustained severe neck injuries and Popchi gave first aid until St John's Ambulance men arrived and took him to the BRI. Sadly, Vernon died of meningitis as a result of an infected wound 29 days later.
1: We've not been able to eat or sleep since this happened.
0: Popchi told the inquest.
1: It was the most dreadful thing seeing that little boy just lying there.
0: He told the inquest that Limo was very docile, that he never used the whip on her, and he could not say for sure why she attacked the boy. He said that it might have been because she disliked small boys, because they were usually the ones taunting her and throwing things at her through the bars of her cage. The jury's verdict was that Vernon Head died from injuries received when he was accidentally mauled by the lioness. A foreman said they also wished to record their appreciation of the prompt manner in which the owner tackled the lioness and released the boy. The following year, the council officially ruled that no lions would be permitted in any of the city's holidays-at-home events. Another attack by a lion was on the 18th of July in 1932, when Edgar Jackson of Belvedere Road in Liverpool was visiting the new Liverpool Zoo. He was walking past the lion cage when the animal seized him by the arm and pulled him towards the cage. Jackson was carrying a walking stick at the time and had the presence of mind to push one end of it into the animal's nostril until he was released. Edgar was then taken to hospital for treatment. And the last one happened on Good Friday in 1932 when Captain Thomas Purchase, during a performance in front of an audience of over 200 people, and with his 19-year-old daughter, Rosie, were in the middle of their act in the lion cage with a young lion who also happened to be called Nero. He feared that the lion was getting far too close to Rosie, so he raised his false leg to warn the animal off. It was then that lion turned on the captain and pulled the leg away, then gripped Captain Purchase by the neck and bit his back and leg. Rosie luckily managed to escape. Attendants had to fight the line with poles, and Mr Richard Chipperfield, Jr., the 26-year-old son of the proprietor, managed to pull the captain out of the cage. His clothes were torn to ribbons. His neck, leg and arms were severely lacerated. Rosie went with her father to the hospital, but later returned to the circus to continue performing with the lion. Captain Purchase passed away from his wounds on the 13th of April, 1932. An inquest returned a verdict of accidental death, and Thomas was buried at Hounslow Cemetery on the 18th of April 1932. His coffin was hidden beneath a plethora of wreaths from all over the country. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? My name is Michael Rocco. My name is Raf Stitt. And who are we, Raf? We are the host of Straight to DVD. We are a film review. Joker meming podcast. That's who we are. Hell yeah, that's what we do. This is who we are. This is what we do. Come listen to us. You can find us on Instagram at Straight to DVD
1: Pod. That's the number two. You can also find us on Apple Music and Spotify. Where else can they find us, Raf?
0: They can find us wherever they find podcasts. Wherever you listen, whether it's like you said, Apple, Spotify, maybe Google Play, Twitter. Uh, they can find us on Twitter. Uh, same handle at Straight to DVD Pod fantastic you can follow the two of us on instagram michael what's your handle at michael underscore rocco underscore at raf
1: all one word we uh we hope you come come join us for some movie chatter
0: some banter hopefully some laughs hopefully hopefully yeah that's about it that's, that's it, it. I, there's nothing else for us to tell you that's all we've got so uh we hope to uh see y'all soon check us out goodbye <music> In shocking news, Justin. A man in Somerset ate four cans of alphabet soup, and he's just had the largest vowel movement in history.
1: Back in the day, facts. Back in the day, facts.
0: On the 22nd of May, in 1960, southern Chile was struck by one of the largest earthquakes of the 20th century. It measured 9.5 on the Richter scale and created a tsunami which spread to Japan, Hawaii and the Philippines. On the 23rd of May, in 1430, French patriot Joan of Arc was captured and sold to the English. On the 24th of May, in 1809, Dartmoor Prison opened in Devon. It was originally built to house French and US prisoners of war. Also on 24th of May in 1941, Bob Dylan was born. Early in World War II between the 26th and the 4th of June 1940, more than 300,000 Allied troops were rescued from the beaches of Dunkirk in northern France. By a fleet of ships and boats of all shapes and sizes, some of them private vessels manned by their owners. The evacuation, prompted by the relentless advance of the Germans through Belgium into France, ensured the survival of sufficient forces ultimately to win the war, as predicted by the writer J.B. Priestley in a radio broadcast on the 5th of June 1940. On the 27th of May, US feminist Amelia Jenks Bloomer was born in 1818. A champion of women's rights and the temperance movement, she's mainly remembered for giving her name to underwear, her married surname being the origin of the word bloomers, which came to denote baggy, long-legged women's knickers. The original garment favoured by Amelia Bloomer, but not designed by her, was a pair of loose-fitting trousers gathered at the ankle, which she wore as a gesture of equality with men to escape the physical restrictions of feminine fashions such as the crinoline or hooped petticoat. I think you'll agree with me that the real stars of the show today were the ones who brought the story to life. And they were Henry Arnold and John Locke from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Joe Wilson and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group in Samwell, Bristol. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK or alternatively you can email me at info at by the way the tune in the background that's by The Model Folk you can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com so thank you so much for listening and until next time guys take care and look after each other